We're going through the book of John and filling in the blank. And each chapter, each portion as we're studying, we see a different picture, a different understanding of who Jesus is. And that causes us to grow in our faith. It causes us to mature in the things of God. Because who Jesus is, is the most important thing. In fact, the most important question that has ever been asked in the history of the world was asked by Jesus. And this was the question, who do you say that I am? There's no question more important than that. The answer to that question changes the direction and means the eternal direction of every human being. How you answer that question. And Jesus, the way to answer it, the way Peter answered it, was you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so as we're taking a look at this, we're going through the book of John, we've discovered that Jesus is, in fact, the one who created all things. The Bible says that nothing that has been made was not made without him. That, that he is the creator, he is eternal, he is God, he is, he is in fact, the, the, the savior. We've discovered that about Jesus. We discovered that he's the God who sees, that he, he's aware of everything that's going on in our life. He's the God who knows, he understands everything about our life. When you get there in your future, wherever you're going, whatever you might be worrying about, when you finally get there, He'll be there already because he is, in fact, the God who is present. And so we're taking a look at Jesus today. And I, I would just fill in the gap this morning with Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And that's, that's where we're looking. We're looking at um, John chapter 3. And uh, we're taking a look at the second half of John chapter 3. And it's it, the, the main person other than Jesus in this story is John the Baptist. He's not the writer of the book of John. He is, in fact, the one who was a proclaimer. He was a, he was a prophet. John was, um, was uh, 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 said by Jesus, of all those who were born of woman, that means everybody, right? Everyone who was born of woman, except for maybe Adam and Eve, they were directly created by God. Everyone who was born of woman, he says, there's none greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus was bypassing Abraham and Moses and Elijah and King David and Samuel and the list goes on and says, John, there's no one better. No one greater than John. And then, of course, he talks about a positional place that those who enter the kingdom actually have a higher place. But John is honored in this great way. And so, and what, what makes John great, we see in this chapter, we see that he was, he was a prophet. John was a prophet, but his mission in life was to make Jesus famous. That was his mission in life. And uh, in fact, well, the word is, of course, it means to glorify. The, the Greek word, doxoxo, means to glorify. And it means to magnify. And it, it means to make glorious, full of glory. And that was John's goal, to glorify Christ, to make him famous. 
That was his mission. And so we take a look at this story, and we're at the place now. Jesus has, he's, he's recognized. You know, John had already baptized Jesus. He had gone into the wilderness. He had come back out. He was starting his ministry. He was doing miracles. And uh, his, some of the disciples of John saw John point to Jesus and say, that's the Lamb of God. That's the one. I, I'm not even worthy to put on his sandals. I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. And they said, well, let's look into this guy. And they started to follow Jesus. So some of John's disciples are following Jesus, but John hasn't stopped his ministry. His ministry goes on. Even though Jesus is now drawing disciples to himself, John is still trying to glorify Jesus and get people ready for Jesus. So he calls them to repentance and, they, and he baptizes them, which was a common uh, activity in Jewish life. Baptism happened mostly by Gentiles who would come into the faith, they would be baptized. And so John is baptizing a baptism of repentance, but not to Gentiles, to Jews who are saying, you need to get ready, the Messiah is coming. And so as that's going on, some of John's disciples recognize that Jesus is now having more people follow him. And the scripture says in verse 22, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there he remained with them and baptized. So now Jesus is baptizing. Now we know further down as we read this text that we find that Jesus actually himself only baptized his disciples, but he but it, they were saying Jesus is baptizing because his disciples were baptizing for him. And that just seems like Jesus. Jesus gets it started and then he's always kind of, he's always pushing people. Listen, now you do it. Now you do it. He was constantly training people to do the work of the ministry, his ministry, but for them to do it. And that hasn't stopped. That hasn't changed. So it says, um, in verse 23, now John also baptized in Ananon near Salem because, let, let me, sh because it seems like you're ready for something really big, like he heard a voice from God that told him to go there, or the Holy Spirit really directed him, or because there was much water there. <laughs> He's baptizing there because there's a lot of water. That's why we're going to the beach today. There's a lot of water. But it doesn't seem to mean that there's any particular place that you have to baptize. I'm grateful we've gone to Israel now. Um, uh, I've been there, I think, nine times. And uh, we baptize people in the Jordan. It's, it's quite an experience and, and everything. But the water in the Jordan, it's really not that clean. And you have to find, like, deep water if you're going there. So um, actually what we do on most... Most week, like next week, we will have baptism as well, but it, we have a jacuzzi over here. And, and there are some people who've opted for that <laughs> rather than the beach today. But I hope you'll come to the beach and, uh, and uh, if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. It's a great, great time. But uh, he says, so they came and were baptized. So 
this is going on, for John had not yet been, been thrown in prison. So this is kind of giving us a time frame. John is going to be thrown in prison. What's he thrown in prison for? Well, because he criticizes King Herod for marrying his brother's wife. Now, that's not right. That's not right. But there would be some who would say, wait a minute. Ah, don't get into politics here. Be careful about that. That's not politics. He's calling out righteousness. He's calling out righteousness. And it's going to cost him his life. But John is a prophet. He calls it as he sees it. And he's proclaiming the message as he sees it. And, it, and, uh, and so... Uh, there's a confrontation that go, comes on, but it tells us it's not yet. And verse 25 says, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So there, there, there's a confrontation. And, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all who come to him all, all, all who are come to him, though Jesus only would, you know, baptize the disciples. Now, there are, things are kind of falling apart in their mind. John is doing his work, but he's not getting the crowds that he was getting before. And things are kind of not working the way they expected them to work. Have you ever had anything in your life not work the way you expected them to work? Is there anybody? I mean, that happens in life, doesn't it? Sometimes, sometimes you think things are going right, they're going great, it's going smooth, and the dreams are going to happen, and then things come your way that don't work the way you think they are. It's supposed to work. Trouble does come. Scripture says it's like, like sparks fly upward. Trouble comes. It comes into our life. But having the right perspective of trouble. Mario Andretti said, if everything seems to be under control, you're not going fast enough. <laughs> Isn't that true? I think that might be true in our life. If everything is seems to be under control, we're probably not going. If we're going fast enough for the kingdom of God, there's going to be things that feel like they're out of control in our life at times. But, but that might be right in the center of God's will and God's plan for our lives. So John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So John's response, and we're going to see four of them here, as John is looking at what's going on, and he's not bothered by it at all. He, he sees his crowds getting smaller and knows that Jesus' crowd is getting bigger, and that actually makes John happier. He becomes more joyful because Jesus is getting the credit. He is not about, you know, comparing himself with Jesus. He's here, there to make Jesus famous. He's there to glorify Jesus. And by the way, I 
believe that every one of us are called to the same calling that John was, that we're to make a path to Jesus for other people. We're supposed to help them be ready and open and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our call. We're here to make Jesus famous, not ourselves. That, that if we can get out of the way in promoting Jesus, we have not only done our job, but I believe it is the pathway to full joy. As, you, as we look at what John's response is, he says, for you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. I've already told you this. You weren't listening. That this is what my purpose is. That I was to go, am to go. When, when his father was serving in the, in the tabernacle in the, or in the temple, and he, an angel visited him and told him what his son would do. He told him his son would be filled with the spirit in his mother's womb. And, and that he would be called and he would be the one who would be the, the forerunner. The, the, he would uh, come in the spirit of Elijah and he would make the path straight. John was fulfilling that call in his life. And he, and, and he gives this expression. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands... Um, uh, and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He says, look at it this way. Jesus is the bridegroom. And I am just the, I, I'm, I'm the, the, you know, the, the one who's supposed to take care of him. I'm his friend. And I'm supposed to take care of the wedding. I'm supposed to take care of all these things. I'm supposed to take care of the bridegroom. I'm not the center of attention. The bride and the bridegroom are the center of attention. So it's my job to make sure that everything goes well for them. Can you see yourself in that position? See, John is trying to help his disciples to see how that functions in there. And then he makes that statement, this, therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. This is where I find joy. While his, his um, disciples were anxious and distressed because they were trying to protect what wasn't theirs in the first place, John is at perfect peace and joy. He's resting in it. How much time do we spend trying to, you know, accumulate for ourselves. And I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, financial things. I'm just talking about in general. How many times do we spend all of our energy trying to protect everything, which really already was given to us by God? And we, we get anxious about it. We get stressed about things. We put, we put so much work into things that really isn't about you know, bringing glory to God and releasing it because that's what matters in life. Uh, we live in a, a different world than 
Well, you can just go back 10 years ago. You, you would say, this world, our world, has changed dramatically in 10 years. When you say that, I see heads bobbing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you the world we live in today. It's a world that a part-time Jesus and a weak Jesus will never do. It's a world that needs a full-time Jesus and a powerful Jesus. A religious Jesus will not carry you through this season in this world. You need a Jesus who is present, who is powerful, who is alive, who is real, and you can't have a Jesus like that part-time. It has to be a full-time Jesus. What I mean by that is a full-time Lord. One who is completely in charge of everything in our life. So as John's talking, he says this, this famous portion, verse 30, he must increase or become greater, but I must decrease. And he says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly, speaks of the earth, who comes from heaven is above all. He's saying, Jesus is above everyone because he is from heaven. Jesus is better than you. He's better in every way. He's smarter. He has more, he's, he's holier. He's, he's, he's perfect in every way. Jesus is from above. He says, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony, or uh, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for for God does not, has not given the spirit by measure. What he's saying is this, what Jesus said is God's word. And Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit like no one else has ever been filled with the Holy Spirit or ever will be. Jesus is filled with the Spirit without measure. There's no end to the amount of the Spirit of God. They're one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then I think an important text in this is the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand all things. I was thinking about how this relates to what we prayed this morning for all the teachers, for all the students, for the schools, all of that. But most of all, for all the parents. It says, he has given all things into his hands. In other words, all things belong to him. Everything. Everything. The best way you can view life is Jesus owns everything. Everything. And I think for this morning, we'd say especially he owns your kids. You have them on loan. They're not yours. And they're not the government's. And they're not the school's. They're yours. And you have responsibility by God. God has given, if God has given you children, you have been given a responsibility. And you're to raise your children 
to also believe that he owns everything. And I think the biggest mistake, and there's a lot of mistakes parents make. I've, we had five kids. We made a lot of mistakes. And I'm not going to tell you all of them. We do not have time. But there, we made a lot of mistakes with our kids. But thankfully, God, God's grace brought us through and our kids through. And, uh, and, and, but here's, here's the, the thing that I think that's the biggest mistake parents make. Christians. They make the mistake of not making it the highest priority to teach their kids that Jesus is Lord. Really, does it matter that they get a scholarship to college? Is it really that important that they're the best athlete on the field? Really? Is it that important that they're the most popular kid in school? Is it really? I'll tell you, it isn't. Plenty of great athletes, plenty of incredible, you know, um, professors and teachers and leaders in the economic and the um, academic community. Great, great people in our world are miserable people. I've had the chance of doing some playing baseball with, with some of the, the, um, some of the some really great baseball players. I got to got an opportunity to be a chaplain at some of the fantasy camps where they would bring in baseball players that were you know all stars in in their prime, great athletes, great pitchers, and baseball players, and got to know them. You know what I found? I found that most of them were miserable still living in their heyday in the past. There were a few of them that were thriving. This is what I discovered. The ones that were thriving were Christians. The ones, the ones who became Christians, they were able to get past what they lost in their past to move on to their, into their future because they had a future. And I, I remember sitting, and I, I won't name the, the one um, baseball player, but he's well known. And uh, he was just drinking up a storm the whole weekend, this one weekend we were together. And, um, and he was just telling me a little bit about his story, but everything was about when he played ball, you know? And, uh, and I remember praying for him. God touched this man's life. And I don't know what happened after that. I never had any more contact with him. But I discovered this last, week, last year, he passed away. And, uh, and I wonder, really, are you, is that the child you're wanting to raise? Because that's not the child that Jesus gave you to raise that way. The, the, the best way to view life is Jesus owns everything and I should use everything I have to glorify him. That's my goal in life. And if you'll raise your kids like that, they'll have Jesus first, but it won't be the only thing they have. Jesus has a way of just making things better.
because he's better. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The story that John is glorifying Jesus about is the fact that someday Jesus would go to the cross and he would die for the sins of the world. And, uh, and it's because of that, you know, John 3.16, just a few verses earlier, that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Someone has said it this way. God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived your life so he could treat you as if you lived his life. Should I say that again? God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived your life so he could treat you as if you lived his life. That's what the gospel is. And I don't know if any of you here don't know Jesus. I'm sure there are, and I'm sure there's some watching online that you don't know Jesus. This is really the moment for you. Today is your day of salvation. The Bible says today is today. So make it your day of salvation. I, I want to read um, the lyrics of an old hymn, an old song. It's uh, Christ Alone. Christ alone, and uh, I'm not reading the whole, whole, the whole song, but just uh, um, the, I think the third and fourth stanza. It says, there is a ground his body lay, light, on, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Amen. Amen. If you've never received Christ, can I invite you to this prayer? And you can just whisper this prayer to, God, to Jesus. It's a confession. Say, Jesus, I confess that you are Lord. And I believe that you died for my sins and you were buried and you conquered death. I ask you to cleanse my soul from all of my sins. I give my life to you. I do declare, Jesus, that you own it all. And that includes my life. So today, Jesus, I declare you as my savior. I ask you to be my savior. And I ask you to help me to follow you from now on. In Jesus' name. I pray, I pray, I pray. Does Jesus own it all? Is he better? If he is, are you ready to acknowledge that and let's worship the Lord, let's, let's sing, let's lift our voices loud and strong and let's declare with our lips, Jesus Christ is Lord, let's do that, will you?